Your boredom is over, but we're just getting started here on Mo Show's Recap, talking about Vinyl, the new show on HBO. Hello, everybody. I'm Josh Wiggler. Very excited about this week's episode of Mo Show's Recap. I'm joined here by a man who needs to face his fears. It's Rob Zesternino. Yeah, uh, well, I just got back. And I was so inspired by all of the cocaine in Vinyl that I have drank an incredible amount of coffee today. Oh, man. <laughs> but you had given up coffee. Yeah. Yeah, I'm back. <laughs> I'm back. He's back in. All right, here's Does anybody know where guy. I can score some sugar? Here's the other Because guy. this coffee is very bitter. Here's another guy. This man also needs to face his fears. Antonio Mazzaro. I'm afraid of what happens to that coffee with no sugar. I got some cream for you, Rob. Would you like a couple creams? <laughs> yes. All Get right. Me. Two creams and a little bit of sugar, and you're good to go. <laughs> yeah, I'm ready to go. It turns out to you nice. <laughs> <laughs> turns out to him nose. Yes. That's Rob's joke. I took it. <laughs> Feel free. I took it from you. We're talking vinyl this week on Mo Show's Recap. Guys, how you doing? Very good. Very excited to talk about this. Yeah. Very good. Very excited to talk about this. You're both doing the Andrew Dice Clay repeater routine. <laughs> <laughs> is it very the Andrew good. Very excited to talk about this. What, I'm, what he's trying to say is he's doing very good, and he's very excited to talk about this. Ah, yes, that's correct. Yeah. All right. Well, let's let's hit this podcast over the head with a bottle multiple, multiple times. We're talking about vinyl new show that's on HBO about sex, drugs, rock and roll. I guess a little coffee is what we are sort of driving at right now. (laughs) Coffee in quotes. That's the parallel. When they make the story of podcast, that's going to be instead of cocaine. Yeah, you're going to have Ray Romano uh, busing to your office with big, big bags of grains. You want decaf? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Juno Temple got a couple beans in her uh, (laughs) in front of her dress. Oh my god! There's too many ways to go with that. (laughs) Uh, Sorry, I did not mean that. Uh, But we're (laughs) but we're moving by Juan Valdez. We are moving away from that comment and talking about vinyl. It is from Martin Scorsese. It is from Mick Jagger. Moves like Jagger. It is from Terrence Winter of The Sopranos and Boardwalk Empire. Winter is coming. it is starring it is starring Bobby Cannavale, not Carnival, also an HBO show that was tragically ended way too soon. Uh, what do we need to know about this show beyond that, Antonio? What's the setup here on vinyl? That's a pretty big setup. Uh, Martin Scorsese heavily involved, uh, and that's you know he was the one who kind of got Boardwalk Empire off the ground as well. This is a, a Mick Jagger kind of thing where it's uh, this is what the scene was like. You know, things were happening, and it's uh, it's about a record label, and it's about this. Uh, record label at the kind of precipice where the the music of the 50s and 60s is sort of going out of flavor and new music is developing punk rock hip-hop these things are happening in new york city ground zero uh, for a lot of what's going on there and that's kind of where this sort of show is really kind of germinating is are we going to find the next big acts and that's did really you say what germinating about. because of uh the germans the germans yes yeah. i might have yeah, yeah. i like that yeah. So that's I mean, that's really where we're kicking off is it's it's really about this time period in New York City as seen through the lens of the music industry. Yeah. And through the lens of one guy in particular, Richie Finestra, played by Bobby Cannavale, who's really been waiting for, I feel like, a big breakout role. Like he's been having lots of great character roles throughout the years. He's been a name that I think has been repeated more and more. Antonio, I know you're a big boardwalk guy and he had a great role on Boardwalk Empire's Jip Rossetti. I remember him best as Torque Mata on Oz. Great little remembered character on that show. But this, I think, to my knowledge, unless you can think of one, this is like his first really big leading man turn. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I'm, he, you know, he's, you're right. He's had these kind of uh, great runs on things. Uh, wh- the, of course, he, the, the main one is Boardwalk Empire, where he won the mm-hmm. Emmy. He was on, uh, you know, you, you've probably seen him on things like Will and Grace. He popped up on. Uh, he had some, uh, you know, show. He just shows up on TV a lot. Uh, Nurse Jackie he had a little bit of a run on. He was in Ant Man. Uh, he just kind of is always the second guy or the third guy. But he has this presence. He's six two. He's got kind of a deep voice. Uh, and it was he's really always been on the precipice of breaking out into his own role. And this is certainly his vehicle, one hundred percent. Yeah, one hundred percent. Rob, what, what's your take on this show so far? Uh, we were talking a little bit about it earlier in the week when you had started 
digging in and like the wee hours of the morning you were doing some really early morning watching on vinyl yeah i tend to watch these things at like five o'clock in the morning when i take over my shift of watching the baby and so that but it's you know that it's having something like this to watch is what sort of like keeps me sane at that time otherwise i would just be like uh really in a very bad place but so (laughs) i'm excited to have something to watch and you know i had heard very mixed reviews on vinyl And I have to say that I think it's an interesting show. I think the thing for me is it just feels like you kind of know exactly where this is going. And I find that it's the show that I don't know how close I need to pay attention to it because I feel like I could pick up at any point exactly what the story is and where it's going. Right. Where do you think it's going? What do you mean by that when you think that you know exactly where the show is going? What are some of the cues that are that are leading you towards the next conclusion? Well, to me, I feel like that this show is basically if Boardwalk Empire Mad Men had a kid. And uh-huh. I feel like that that's what this show is. Of course, you have uh, Bobby Cannavale and then everybody, uh, Terrence Winter and, and uh, Scorsese from the Boardwalk Empire side of things. But then also, I feel like where Mad Men ends in 1970 in New York City, this sort of picks up 1973 New York City, and you have this same sort of thing where this Don Draper-esque type character, this flawed man, anti-hero. This real Dick Whitman of a guy. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So he's there, and he has a troubled marriage, and he's trying to get people, like he's a visionary, and that the people at the company don't see things his way, and he's fighting against the bureaucracy. And then at the company, everybody else is an idiot, except for this one young upstart girl that he sees the potential in, and that she's the only one that even though she's like a lowly assistant that it seems like we're going to follow her trajectory up in the company so it just really feels like uh, in a lot of ways you know mad men set in a music label it's interesting Uh, i mean i think that boardwalk empire is the obvious touchstone for a show like this because it reunites a lot of the creative team behind that but antonio do you think that's fair do you think that this is it's also kind of a close cousin of mad men 100%. I I had some of the same thoughts, mainly about the Juno Temple character, as Rob's saying, the sort of upstart girl who... Sort of Peggy uh, Olsen-ish. Peggy Olsen, for sure. That she starts in the secretary pool. She wants to be something bigger. Uh, She takes her own kind of ambitious way about getting there uh, and really is pushing herself forward and needs some opportunities and some help, but also really wants to drive herself forward. And in in many ways, is sort of an opposite... uh, of the the lead character in, in or maybe that you can see like the early kind of stages of the lead character like what this person may have been like at a certain point um even though the genders are different i i think there's a lot of similarity there and then of course picking up in new york city right at that same time period it's very natural i think to see this as sort of the next evolution a show that takes place in the early 70s in new york where mad men left off right at 1970 uh, i think that there's a, a lot of connective tissue there for sure Yeah, I think so, too. I wonder, like, do you think that that's such a bad thing? Because for me, I don't know that it is. If it's, you know, if it's an artfully done show, if it's a well-acted show, if the characters are fun, I really like the, you know, the ensemble. I love the American Century co-workers, all of those people. Like, you do get a little bit of a Sterling Draper, Cooper Price sort of feel from some of these people. If it's done well, I mean, Mad Men's gone. Is Is there anything wrong with the idea of having sort of, you know, a spiritual successor to it? I don't think so. No, I mean, I'm I'm perfectly fine with that. I and I'm not a New Yorker by any stretch. You guys have a lot more uh, of your kind of roots there. But for me, I I find it fascinating. I like when there's, especially when there's real life incidents uh, that come into play. Not things that are the major portion of why the episode happens. Matt Weiner always did a good job of that on Mad Men. Uh, things that were kind of happening in the background or incidents that were taking place that we look at historically as major incidents. But at the time, really didn't play a part. I mean, we could get to a New York City blackout, for example, uh, in the uh, in the the you know the context of of this show, which a lot of people believe is what gave birth to hip hop. There are a lot of things that were kind of cultural touchstones that we could hit by placing ourselves in this great city in this time period. So I'm I'm fine with it. To me, with the Mad Men thing, though, I think it would be fine if it was like tonally a successor to Mad Men. But I just feel like it's almost like a reimagining of Mad Men set in the same world where you have these same sort of archetypes at the center of the show. And so to me, it just seems too familiar in some ways. Like I wish that they would have had some way that they could have changed things up in terms of just how the show and the story was told between these two sort of, it feels like the principal characters that were going to follow their story between the antihero 
and also sort of the you know upstart receptionist who he sees the potential in at the company. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and of course, it's, uh, oh, advertising industry. They're drinking and smoking all the time. Record industry. They're doing all kinds of drugs, every drug <laughs> they can possibly find. I mean, there are these analogs there for sure. And I think that they have to be cognizant of that because they have to be careful, I think, not to just strictly parrot what's going on. And I think the time periods may give them the opportunities to branch out a little bit from, from that uh, and bring a lot of different forces in. But I mean, even down to, look, in Mad Men, there's a big sequence where Roger Sterling doesn't want to do a business deal with a Japanese company because mm-hmm. he has issues with World War II. And here we have a business deal with Germans that won't go down because of issues with World War II. Right. Uh, you know, so there are just direct similarities there. And it's like, look, you can have like a pastiche or like a show about history, but you have to be very careful not to tread into the exact same footsteps that this other show about history in the same time period with a very similar setup didn't already cover. So I agree with you, Rob, for sure. I want to know from you, Antonio, about the Boardwalk Empire thing, because that is that is the other show that I think that you could really dial this one up against, you know, with Terrence Winter being the Boardwalk Empire guy. Here he is during the ship on vinyl, Bobby Cannavale kind of crossing over between the two shows. And one of the interesting things for me that I feel like could be a bit of a touchstone in how to view vinyl moving forward is the way that um, I wasn't a big Boardwalk guy, but I understand that it was kind of close to history, but fluid with history a little bit. Can you speak to some of that and how that might come into play here in vinyl? Yeah. So, I mean, I think that that's a big part of it. Uh, there, you know, in, in vinyl, uh, in, in, well, in Boardwalk Empire, for example, the Nucky Thompson character was based on a real gangster, uh, but not specifically, uh, what, you know, a telling of everything that happened with that gangster. They took a guy who was kind of a New Jersey, uh, hybrid politician gangster, uh, who got into some trouble, but also tried to run some things. Uh, and then they really kind of extrapolated that out to this Steve Buscemi character. Uh, and they had him interacting with and encountering very famous people, Al Capone, Joseph Kennedy, people from history, other gangsters like George Remus and Waxy Gordon, and all of these other people that, were, that are famous in the annals of that kind of, uh, kind of time and space uh, were interacting with this guy. And it was tough for that show because in a, in a show where it was a life or death show, you knew certain characters probably weren't going to die because they didn't die that way. Al Capone's not going to go down uh, and get murdered in, you know, 1923 because we know he makes it a lot longer. So I, I Kevin think that Costner that was, has to bust him. Yes, Kevin Costner has to say, you want to fight Capone? You want to fight right now? This is bad. You know, he has to really give a terrible performance in an otherwise good movie uh, to be, you know, something legitimate. No, but yeah, that, that was difficult for Boardwalk Empire. But I think they usually did a very good job of not letting those historical characters ruin the story or take away from the story. And they let Nucky really be at the center of it. In fact, that was often a weakness of the show. I hear in vinyl, American Century Records is not really a real record label. Um, it's, I'm not even 100% sure everything that it's based on, uh, but a lot of the people and places uh, are iconic. And so they did recreate iconic locations. Um, Rob, you may remember from our very Murray Christmas we talked about Buster Poindexter showing up uh, and singing at the bar, being the cabbie uh, in uh, <laughs> in Scrooge. Yeah. Uh, here we see Buster Poindexter's New York Dolls playing, uh, and you know him in in sort of full on New York Dolls lead singer mode. Uh, and we have the actual person re-recording his music from the time uh, to play in this episode. So they really are kind of recreating some of these iconic groups, iconic people, iconic places. And I think the the trouble is uh, that maybe you get into is if they're really just kind of walk on roles or if they're not the main characters, are they going to distract from the story? Are they taking away from what's happening? Are we paying too much attention to these fake celebrity cameos and not enough attention to the story we're looking for? Right. You know, how many times can Robert Plant pop up before it's like, ah, that's a lot of Robert Plant going on right now. Yeah. Here's Andy Warhol again. You know, like you got to be very careful. What did you think of Andy Warhol on here, Rob? Yeah, I thought it was fine. You know, the flashbacks to me are a little bit jarring because I feel like we're already in a flashback in that the show is sort of set in the 70s. And I'm wondering if we had, you know, flashbacks back to the storyline from the 50s in the first episode. And then we were flashing back to things in the second episode to the Andy Warhol era of how Bobby Cannavale met his wife on the show. Do you feel like that we're going to have some sort of like loss type setup where every episode we're also going to be flashing back to another story from the past? Yeah, I mean, we had like the extreme close up on uh, on Bobby's eye when he was like covered in dust from the building. I kept waiting for like the big whoosh noise. 
we didn't get that. Uh, but I, I do think it does seem like digging into the past even further than we already are, you know, starting in 73, I do think that that's going to be a piece of this. It feels like there's a lot about Richie and his relationship with his wife and his relationship with like little Jimmy Little and things like that that are going to really inform the story moving forward. And it feels like digging into the past on the show is going to be a way of unearthing a lot of that. I think that we're definitely going to be seeing a lot of the flashbacks. Do you like it though? Um, I don't, I, I agree that it feels, it feels a little jarring in terms of, and, and I don't know. I mean, do you want it to be so overt where like they're telling you this is flashback time. Now this motif is happening on screen and you know, we're in flashback mode or do you want them to treat you, you know, like, you know what's going on and you can tell when it's going into flashback mode. But there were a few times in the episode where I was genuinely confused at what time period it was. Um, I don't mind if the story is going back and telling stuff like that. I feel like some of the scenes in the 50s were some of my favorite scenes in either of the two episodes that we've seen. We've seen the first two. And I thought that that, that horrible scene with Jimmy, with Jimmy Little when he's getting you know his, his crap kicked in, was a, was a great sort of way of telling the times and, and revealing that story. A bit, so I I like it to a degree. I'm a little concerned about it getting overused. One of the reasons I like it, though, is you know if they're going to have to have Richie kind of be straight and narrow in the present, then at least in the past we'll be able to see like cocaine mania Richie Finestra as often as we want. So I feel like the more that we can get of that, because that's a really great, compelling character, I feel like that's a solid thing. Yeah, it's tough because I think you're right. That little Jimmy Little stuff is is important. The 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 germination of this project at HBO was kind of Mick Jagger saying to Martin Scorsese, "I'd like to make like a casino style project about the history of of American or modern music." Uh, so two guys and their forty year careers in the music industry and how music evolved and that kind of like let's take us throughout that and some of those Scorsese projects, be it like Wolf of Wall Street or Goodfellas or uh, casino, they really do that. They really do, and and that's kind of where they're at their best is showing how America changes and showing how uh, the you know the particular milieu or venue or whatever you want to say uh, that you're viewing this through is can change. So the gangsters in in Goodfellas at the beginning, they're they're almost like oh you know they, they there's a smile and they're fun and they're lighthearted, and then by the you know early '80s they're doing cocaine and. Uh, they're shooting everybody randomly and horrible things are happening and drugs have gotten out of control. And it really shows how the nation changes. And I think that's the idea with this show. So I do think you need some of those flashbacks, like the little limit, little Jimmy little scene. So you can see not only how this guy started his career in the music industry, but also what the music industry used to be like uh, in the early 1960s uh, or the late 1950s with this sort of like, Oh, we're going to make a dance record and then, and make you a pop star. And then you can, maybe make some other records that you want to make, but you really see how the industry is evolving to the, all the way down to like the bad bits, this, you know, early punk band that they're really kind of pushing out there, a band who's like what they're bringing to the table in certain, in terms of their energy and frenzy is just as important uh, as how they sound. And I think that seeing that development, it, it really, you do need the flashbacks to see that. What did you guys think of um, the premiere in terms of its length? This was something that, you know, we kind of asked people what they thought of vinyl, any questions they had about vinyl. One of the recurring things that I was seeing from a lot of people, and it was summed up well by Albert Vargas, who said, I really wanted to like that show, but I haven't been able to get into it. Bobby Cannavale is always great, but it's two hours too long for a premiere episode of a new show. You know, you often see like the double-sized episode or the 90-minute episode for a premiere, whether it's a series premiere or a season premiere or a finale or something. Do you think that two hours is just too much to ask? Did it hold your attention the entire time, Rob? I don't think that necessarily in a vacuum, two hours is too long for a premiere. I mean, you mentioned Lost and they had famously had a two hour premiere. And I don't think anybody was complaining about that, that it was too long. I think it has to be more focused. I think that's the problem. And I think they really explored a lot of things in the premiere. And I feel like that they probably could have been a little better served by sort of keeping it tighter and keeping it more focused on what we were seeing as opposed to sort of like learning about this world for the first time. But overall, I mean, I had to watch it in two parts. I watched it over two days, so it didn't bum me out too much because I had the day of in between. But I think probably for what they did in the two hour premiere, I think it was too much. Yeah, I, the Lost premiere was shown in two parts, first of all, yeah. right? So that's the other thing. And then it was also shown with commercials. And so if you watch it now, it's not a full two hours, right? It's like an hour and 
uh, 25 or 30 minutes, right? So it's not what this is, which is a full two hours. It's 120 minutes of television. It's a feature-length film uh, right in a row. And I think that that is tough because you're right, Rob. The lack of focus really jumps out there. By the time the Andrew Dice Clay scene is happening and that all thing is – I'm like, of course. What else did this pilot need? We have to throw this into the mix uh-huh. as well. <laughs> like we already had this. And then a building falls down. It's like what more can you pile – possibly pile into this pilot? Can so, we talk more about the building and what that was about? Of course. Sure. <laughs> I just – I thought it was a dream sequence and then I couldn't believe in the next episode. They were talking about it like it actually happened. I was yeah, very it was confused. Real. It was real. Not only was it real on the show, it's based on a real event in real life. You know, talking about how uh, Boardwalk Empire sort of mixed and matched a lot of stuff in history uh, and kind of fictionalized a lot of history but stayed close to some stuff. Um, same, same deal here. There's a great piece on Vulture on New York Magazine's website about um, the collapse – of the Mercer Art Center in Greenwich Village, which is apparently really close to where I used to live, uh, in 1973, August 3rd, 1973. Some of the details are different. I don't know if there was music playing. I don't think that it was the sound of music that brought a building down to its knees or anything like that. I think it was like a poor construction that was just very old and ancient. Yeah. We'll link to this in the show notes, but it, you know, there's talk about how 300 people escaped on time. Four people were killed. So this was, it was based on a real thing. And in the show, yeah, very, very real. That absolutely happens to Richie. And I was with you, Rob, for a minute there. I was like, is this just some sort of fever dream he's having? You know, especially as he's like in the middle of the crowd and sees the cracks on the wall and the pipes bursting. And he seems to be the only person in the entire room that notices. And he's on an insane amount of cocaine. Yes, yes. <laughs> Having had a lot of clean time, it seems like. So it's like not only is he on an insane amount of coke, but it's not like this is a guy who has been doing a lot of coke over time. Like right. he's been clean for a while and he's on a real bender. And then right. how about the fact that then that's like the inciting incident of his whole different change in philosophy in terms of the direction of the company? Yeah, I think it's interesting. I mean, it, there's obviously the visual metaphor of, you know, rising from the ashes and all of that. And, you know, having kind of this Phoenix moment of being reborn and rediscovering your passion and going out and doing it. There's there's that. There's also the fact that he's on a heavy amount of drugs when a yeah. building falls down on him. And I think that it's pretty clear that he proceeds to continue being on a heavy amount of drugs for the next however many hours without any sort of break. And make some very bad Coke-fueled business decisions. No, I, yeah, I think the moral of the story is if you really want to take your company back and you want to succeed in business, you have to do a lot of Coke. I think do, that's what the show told me. You have to go watch Bruce Lee movies and break Karate your best show. friend's nose. <laughs> yeah, you have to murder someone accidentally, but also on purpose. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's a, I don't know. It takes After a, a stolen kiss. Yeah, yes. It, it, yes. It takes, I don't know, it takes a falling building to, to kind of wake this guy up or to like, maybe it's like the head injury that is causing him to do all these awful things. But yeah, that's the inciting incident for what seems to be the rest of vinyl. It's all, it, it seems like it's going to be life before the building dropped and life afterward, which is, I think, kind of interesting. But I'm with you, Rob. I definitely thought at first, like, what is happening here? This can't be real. Yeah. Well, and I think a big part of it is I think you're also meant to, th- meant to think that seeing the New York Dolls in that venue and and really feeling that music and also being high, of course, but feeling that music and being out on the streets doing the kind of work that he probably hasn't been doing since he's really been an executive, getting back to his roots, listening to music and seeing how people respond to music and wanting acts like that on his label – uh, that sort of also really pops before the building ever falls. He's really in the zone and feeling it. Uh, and I think that that's a big part of it, too, is we're supposed to think that this guy, not only does he have a good ear, as they say a couple times throughout the pilot, um, but he's got this sort of preternatural ability probably to be ahead of the curve. And I think that when you talk about Rob assuming where the story's going, I assume he's going to be onto a few things. Like he's really curious when he sees. Uh, this DJ uh, playing more than one record at once uh, in this sort of street party. What is this? What is this crazy music that I'm hearing here? Could this be uh, hip hop or dance music? I don't understand. So I think that there's a lot of that too, that this is supposed to be this guy who uh, is this sort of savant when it comes to identifying new sounds that people will come to love. What do you think, Antonio, in terms of this show um, and the music? And, you know, I, I'm not a big music history buff or anything like that. Rob, I don't know if, if you're a big music guy, would you say? I would say not a big music yeah. guy. 
Uh, but Antonio, I believe that you are correct. Yes, yeah, I am. I mean, I'm no James Keast of Exclaim Magazine, but I'm a, you know, <laughs> right. a big music guy. <laughs> but what? Do, but what do you think of? Uh, what, what do you think of this show from that standpoint? Is the, is this getting things right for you? Is it getting things done in an entertaining way? Are you liking it from that standpoint? I actually think it's a little heavy-handed uh, as a music guy. I think it's a little there, there's a lot of buzzing going on and a lot of like oh. Uh, look, you know, you it's like a Forrest Gump kind of thing. It's like, oh, you you on on one night you were able to uh Is Richie gonna the, get shot shot in the buttocks? <laughs> I it's uh, I, I don't know if that's gonna happen. I don't know if he's gonna go on a cross country run. Uh, I don't know if he's gonna get a boat. I really don't know where this will end up. But it's sort of like, oh, of course, on one night you're you know, you're seeing uh famous DJ and you're seeing the New York dolls and, and it, this is New York and it's nineteen seventy three. This can happen. So I think there's some of that, and I think that that's a little bit heavy-handed. Uh, so, some of the talk that's going on, they're mentioning a lot of acts, and they go all the way back. They're doing this 40 years of music. So they're like screaming Jay Hawkins, or when I first heard Bo Diddley, or all these people. And the show throughout is featuring these kind of interesting sequences where they don't seem to be taking place in the time or space of the show, but they're taking place on the sets of the show. So we see uh, people like we see like a Jerry Lee Lewis singing Breathless, uh, in like the conference room or wherever at the, you know, just these things that are happening and they're weirdly lit and we don't know if they're supposed to be dream sequences or what they are. So I think that there's a lot going on there with regard to the music history and the characters are certainly uh, mobbed up in that music history. I did think it was, I mean, it's a little heavy handed, right? To have the A&R rep sitting around listening to ABBA and being like, oh, they're like a Norwegian act and ah, yeah, they're, they're terrible or whatever. And then Bobby Cannavale walks in like, they're going to fill up stadiums. It's like, oh my gosh. I mean, I, I don't know. I just feel like that it, that's just a little heavy-handed for me. But I, I appreciate it. I love music. So it's great to see all these things being featured and talked about. Uh, and Martin Scorsese, of course, probably more than any director uh, in, in America, at least especially, um, has really uh, mixed music and film, uh, especially pop, pop music. So uh, it's, it's fantastic on that level, but it's a little heavy-handed. Well, yeah, he's, he's always been super, you know, super into it, but from you know, being the guy behind The Last Waltz and everything like that. So I think that in terms of having a great filmmaker linked up with a show that is deeply, deeply rooted in music and music history, and especially this time in music history, I feel like that's a really great match between Scorsese and the material. Yeah, it is. It's just the the shows the shows kind of because the show is about like a record label at this time in New York and this guy who is a really great kind of eye for talent uh I think that there's there's it's just a little heavy handed with some of this stuff, and I I, I just it's a little uncomfortable to me. I, I know you, you're there's snickering going on. Well, you don't I, want him to like burst in the room and say like uh, we didn't sign Abba, Mamma Mia, what's going on around here? <laughs> here we go again. Yeah, like I mean, just I mean, think about it this way: like you can you conceivably, and this this is going to be something that's on both of your guys' radars. Uh, you could conceivably say like, uh, oh, it's a young Bruce Springsteen that he encounters. Oh, there's a young Billy Joel. And it's like, I don't know, because, uh, you know, Bruce is is in his early years in the, you know, in the 64 to kind of like 74, 75 period uh, is, you know, he's around those those areas and he's performing, but he hasn't hit it super big yet. So now, it's totally feasible. It we get Stevie Van Zant on the show then. <laughs> playing younger that's not gonna work josh i got news for you <laughs> maybe, he, maybe he could be steve van zandt's dad yeah. that guy already looks like a d minus in the stage makeup class when he's in a normal yeah. show like this is not gonna go well if he tries to play younger oh, and first they take lily hammer and now you have to take a lily hammer to the man's appearance yeah i'm just saying just saying it's like a jonathan Banks situation <laughs> yeah uh, I, so I mean, this, there, there's just these. There's possibilities for all these things, and it's all right. I mean, it, it, the, the thing about Boardwalk Empire is, and, and Mad Men as well. Mad Men, of course, uh, Conrad Hilton comes into play somewhere in the course of the story, and they don't change history with Conrad Hilton. He doesn't really detract. He's actually really interesting when he pops up in the story, but he's a a real person, uh, and I. It, it's just it's just tough. I think the show could go the wrong direction in this regard, and it concerns me a little bit. 
Um, Rob, what do you think about some of the some of the characters here? Are you liking Bobby Cannavale, or is he too Don Draper for you? No, I like him. I mean, I hope that my uh, comparison to Mad Men doesn't mean to say that no, I, I really a, I dislike the show yeah. or anything. But it just seemed a uh, very familiar territory. But I did like Bobby Cannavale uh, very much on that season of Boardwalk Empire that he was on. I mean, his whole thing is that it's just like he can snap at any moment in any scene, and you know, he's that really taps into that here so i really do like him uh, i especially like ray romano here i think yes. he does a really good job like he's very uh very subtle and dry and uh, you know i always like ray romano but i think he's especially good here and in a dramatic role yeah zach yankovic yeah. i love romano in this i really do and i think he's uh i think he's proven to be a lot more beyond the kind of sitcom star ray romano that we all knew from everybody loves raymond he's already kind of established a lot of credibility through things like men of a certain age and parenthood he's had some really good turns on those shows but uh he's great in this i really like him yeah but it's been like uh i don't know for like the the barone brothers like it's been a good year like bo garrett on fargo joe bulo we've got ray romano here he's doing he's doing good dramatic work (laughs) yeah 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 uh, Papa, is he uh, Josh? Should he, should we compare him to uh, David Schwimmer, like is being done? Yeah, this is a really fun thing. I showed this to Antonio earlier, Rob, but I didn't send this to you, uh, so I'll, I'll just have to tell you, and you all have to experience it along with us. Uh, there's this great series of articles that's being published on Uprocks.com right now. Mm-hmm. It's by one of my favorite writers, named Mike Ryan, uh, and he is he's comparing. Um, basically we're living in a golden age right now, Rob, where we don't only have, you know, not only do we have Ray Romano breaking away from his sitcom stereotype here on vinyl, we also have very iconic sitcom star David Schwimmer attempting to do the same thing on the people versus OJ Simpson, you know, Mm -hmm. playing Robert Kardashian over there. So on uprocks.com every single week, Mike Ryan is pitting David Schwimmer against Ray Romano in head to head categories to see which one is breaking away from their iconic character the most. Okay. Um, so it's, you know, it's, they're, they're being measured against basically best quotes of the episode. For example, Schwimmer's best line this week as Robert Kardashian was, your Uncle Juice is a good man. Uh, whereas, and I will clean up the language here, Romano's best line as Zach Yankovic this week was, I got a bleep on a bus once. That's it. I'm in the four foot high club. Who do you think is the winner of that head to head, Rob? Uh, well, uh, yeah, so to, so raising to, Josh, so to speak. Uh, yeah, I would say uh, I'm going to give it to Ray Romano. Yeah, well, it went to David Schwimmer. Uh, I demand a recount. Yeah, yeah, I don't agree with Mike Ryan's choices on on the winners of some of those, but I think the articles are hilarious. The articles are great. I recommend them to everybody. Uh, very fun, especially if you're watching American Crime Story. You guys both keeping up with American Crime Story? I'm oh, yeah. following it, but I'm not current up to date i think i'm probably three episodes and i think i haven't seen this week's yet as a gun antenna you're watching i'm i'm watching it almost as it airs i'm hooked i'm, I'm all in yeah so i finished fun. i finished the book the source material that it was based on i want a sequel but i don't know how we can get a sequel with oj it's difficult i think it's gonna be tough i think civil trial. Maybe, yeah. maybe the civil trial yeah or yeah. maybe the other thing that got him in jail uh at this point i th- i feel like that stuff could be covered this season i don't think that that's off the off the table if it goes in that direction interesting hmm. yeah anyway we'll see jury's out on that uh or not really ah. i think the jury the jury is in jury is in but yeah i think ray romano is great ray romano getting kung fu chopped in the face and having this horrible bandaged face for the rest of the episode was really kind of a thing with beauty yeah i mean it was very dark for him the second episode super dark yeah he was he he was about to kill himself right that yeah. is that is where we were going with that character yeah <laughs> uh so yikes yeah he was certainly considering it that was that was in play for sure mm-hmm. that seemed that seemed to be in play uh but yeah i mean i don't i don't know i don't know where where the story goes with this guy i don't know where the story goes with american century in terms of now they've said no to to the German buyers. They're going to try and do it on their own. Everybody was counting on this big buyout. And we see, at least through through uh, Zach Yankovic's perspective, we see that it's so bad that he is willing to just off himself. Um, so I don't, I don't know if there's any climbing out of the hole or if this is sort of like an inevitable tailspin for a lot of these characters. But it definitely seems like these guys are kind of in a bad way. Yeah, what did you guys think of Max Casella as the, uh, the head of A&R, Julie Amazing. Silver? Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. No more Doogie Hauser in that. Although I, I feel like Max Casella, by the way, 48 years old. Is that true? Wow. Really? Yes. I feel like he could probably play 18. Honestly, wow. so he's the anti-Van Zandt. He's gonna, yeah. He's going <laughs> to do Vinny Del Pino again. 
Yes. Yeah, yeah. But he was always good on Boardwalk Empire, too. And he was in The Sopranos. So I feel like that he's really uh, done a good job sort of clinging on to these uh, Sunday night HBO shows. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, he's held on for dear life. Uh, but yeah, Max Casella, I hope that he has like the NPH resurgence. I hope that he can get the NPH bump uh, and he can be the next breakout Doogie Hauser character that we're always talking about. I mean, he's been working, you know, pretty steadily on these shows. I feel but like he needs yeah. like he needs like a Harold and Kumar to like make him more of a pop culture fixture. I feel but like. I feel like Neil Patrick Harris went away and he, I feel like that Max Casella really for I mean, I feel like for a good like 15 years has been around. He blended it. Yeah, he blended in. It's not like he's still Vinny. He's right. just a you know, working actor, Max Casella. Yeah. Uh, I liked him. My wife and I were watching, and she goes, oh, it's Kevin Arnold. It wasn't Kevin Arnold. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of looked like That's him. That's the grinder. <laughs> yeah, the ringer was with Sarah Michelle Gellar, who is now reprising her role on Cruel Intentions, the TV series. And Bill Simmons. And Bill, and Bill Simmons, S- right, yeah. yeah That's Johnny right. Costville. Yeah, Bill Simmons is also going to be on the new Cruel Intentions TV show. <laughs> oh, my gosh. We're really lost at this point. We're, yeah. we're, let's, 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 one, two, three, clap, guys. Let's do that. <laughs> we're in the weeds. We're yeah. in the weeds. Uh, speaking of in the weeds, that's where Andrew Dice Clay winds up in oh in this first episode of Vinyl. Um, can I just get the hot takes on Andrew Dice Clay in Vinyl? I remember when we were talking about previewing 2016 in our first 2016 episode of Mo Show's recap, there was a little bit of concern about is the Andrew Dice Clay thing going to be too much for vinyl? What's the deal? It's really, it seems like it's just a one and done. Um, what did you guys think? Rob, what did you think of the whole Andrew Dice Clay as Buck Rogers storyline in that first episode? It was good, especially that they killed him off. I like that they brought him <laughs> in just to see, you just know. Just to bash the oh, yeah, And he was like a horrible person and he got whacked in the first episode. So I loved it. Yeah, he was fantastic playing the just totally off the rails Buck Rogers, kind of like just really nuts. And, and that scene... Scarface almost level kind of insanity going on at his mansion. Yeah, uh, that was fantastic. I do think the flashback kind of uh, style uh, does allow us to see more Buck Rogers if we're going to see other episodes with flashbacks. So I wouldn't necessarily think that he's done, uh, but he was really great uh, in that this one episode for sure. Hates Donny Osmond. He hates Donny Osmond. It's great. He's a big, big, big hater of Donny Osmond. I don't know. I mean, is there what was what was the relationship between him and Richie? I mean, he's a, he's a radio station owner and everything like that. Is he super close with Richie? Are they? You know, it didn't seem like they were close friends or anything. So I, I don't know how deep into the into the past we would we would have to go to see more of Buck Rogers. Well, I mean, it it, it sort of the show kind of lightly introduces the idea that in order to have hit singles, you needed uh, these really influential radio people to play them. Uh, If they controlled what was on the air in major markets, uh, then they controlled whether or not people would hear your music and buy it. And so I think that that's that's the Buck Rogers role. It's more of a business relationship, but he's the kind of guy that you really have to put up with and you don't want to, but he's the kind of guy that can really hurt your business. When he talks about, for example, the Donny Osmond incident, getting him to not play their music, it's going to ruin their company within a month. And so this is an important guy, at least in that realm, how he got to be important and what their relationship used to be like. I I think that that's, that's something that we can see in flashback. We see like a flashback of Ray Romano, for example, delivering some payola uh, in a flashback. Uh, so it's possible we're going to see the, the Buck Rogers relationship sort of develop over time as well. Why did things escalate to the point where he had to have his brain smashed in with a trophy? And then when he got back up onto his feet, he had to have his brain smashed in even further with a vodka bottle. It's a fair question. I don't know. I think that I think that's the question. That, Just because uh, it was gross and we needed a gross thing in the first episode yeah, of the show. I, I have, I have a real issue with, like I said, with them throwing in a murder on top of everything else because, you know, now it seems pretty clear going forward the story of the show is going to be, can they get their record label really moving? And if they've got 30 days hanging over their head, what kind of success can they have in the next 30 days to buy themselves a little more time? Uh, and who are their next big acts going to be? And is, for example, uh, just uh, little Jimmy Little going to come into play here and be somebody who they really reform that relationship and they find some way to bring him back into the record label. 
Uh, are those things going to come into play? That's all well and good, but there's this stupid murder story hanging over the plot as well. And is that very Friday also, Night Lights season two? Yeah, it's just it doesn't. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't Bobby need to Connor happen. Landry. Bob, 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 Bobby Connor Landry. Yeah, this is this is no good. Uh, I just I don't know. Well, I, that guy, in fairness, <laughs> he was hanging out with Andrew Dice Clay for two days straight. You know, you could kind of understand why he's like, oh, we gotta we gotta take him out. We gotta kill him. It's just, yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, he'd heard Dice's act over and over and over again. He's like, listen, I know why Bo Peep went up the hill. Like, I understand. So, no, I don't really know. Uh, I just don't. I, I, whatever. I guess the show needs to murder, too. But it was also, I think, the other thing. I mean, I, I thought it was an entertaining scene enough. I like that he knew Frankenstein well enough to know exactly when to shoot Frankenstein in the head mm-hmm. and to make sure that he falls over. I thought that was kind of funny. Uh, but it felt it felt so much like, I, I don't know, it felt like a scene that you had seen before. And it specifically feels like that drug dealer scene from Boogie Nights. Yes, I think yes, it's, yes, it, yes, yes. It's the scene that's constantly being referenced when you, when you talk about this Andrew Dice Clay scene. Rob, you saw that too. Yeah. I I mean, Boogie Nights is one of my favorites. And yeah, it definitely did have that feel where things are really getting out of hand with the guy who's really high on drugs and the guy coming over who's not. And, you know, different intentions on the parts of the people that come to the house, but definitely had that same sort of, you know, madness to the scene, especially when he takes out a gun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like th- if we had had Tom Jane in this one, like if we could have carried over his character from Hung uh, and had him hanging out here in viral, <laughs> it feels like it would have, it would have, <laughs> yeah, he well, you know, if he could have been around in this scene, in okay. final, uh, maybe it would have it would have connected a little more. It felt it felt very familiar to that to me. So I I kind of feel it. I think that it was you know it was a big it was a big scene. It was sort of the big scene of the premiere, and it felt very much like you know if that edict is Mick Jagger saying I want you to do the Rolling Stones like Casino, then like you can kind of see why that would sort of line up. Yeah, I, I I understand that. It's just it it really. I think it's because the the pilot was two hours. It's like what else is going to happen? Oh, three quarters of the way through, going right. to be a horrible murder. Okay, I got it. Yeah. Um, what did you think of uh, the nasty bits starring Mick Jagger's son as the front man of the nasty bits? Oh, I had no idea. Yeah, James Jagger. It's a great name. Yeah, I I mean I nepotism is what it is. Like it's no it's no joke. But I think that he is in music. I do think that. He and Mick Jagger are writing original music for this show. I think it makes some sense to have somebody that that has a little bit of presence like that, and you can you can just feel like there maybe is something about him. Rob, did you think this guy might have been a musician at the very least, or did you think he was only an actor? Or what did you think about the guy not knowing that he was Mick Jagger's son? Did you well, think it was Theon Greyjoy? No, I didn't. But I was really struggling with. Am I supposed to think that this band is really good and the people that say he's bad just don't see it? Or am I supposed to be thinking that this band is bad and the girl, uh, Juno Temple, is just, you know, for whatever reason, she's like uh, just trying to impress her boss and they're not actually good. I basically just like piece together that, okay, it seems like that's being set up as sort of like the Peggy Olsen character that they must actually be good Everybody else must be crazy, but I couldn't tell from the actual music they were playing. Yeah, and I yeah. wouldn't say that they were supposed to be good, quote unquote. I think they're supposed to be ahead of their time in a, lo- in a lot of respects. And I think that your mileage may vary on whether you like music like that, that most people consider good. Like, Rob, if you put on, like, uh, never mind the bollocks, or you, you know, you put on, like, uh, it's just, yeah, if you put on, like, a Sex Pistols album or, or something like that, are you, are you thinking, this, this sounds good? This is good music. Uh, and maybe not. I mean, a lot of people would hear punk and think, ah, I don't know about this, uh, especially the early stuff, because it is so different. It's raw. It's loud. It's in your face. It does, you can't really understand the words that are being said. All the things that Max Casella said kind of about the music are, are what I think people feel about punk rock that don't really are, are not really into it. And that doesn't mean that they're wrong. Uh, it just means it's mu- not music for them. Uh, but the people who are into it probably look at a band like that and say, wow, they've got a lot of energy. Uh, they're, you know, they're really intense. Uh, maybe they're not playing complicated music, but I really like what they're bringing to the table in terms of the reactions they're getting out of people. So uh, it's tapping into something that unless you're really feeling it, you're not going to feel it. And so I don't think they were supposed to be good per se. Yeah. He was into fighting, effing and nothing. Those are his three interests. That's yeah, that's uh, that's a lot Solid of punk hobbies. rock right there. Yeah. yeah, that's a lot of punk rock. Effing, fighting and nothing. Antonio, you wanted to talk about the opening credits because you've got you've got some scoop on the opening credits. Oh, yeah, um, it's it's very it's kind of fascinating. I don't know what you guys thought of the credit sequence it doesn't appear in the pilot episode, but does appear in the second episode. 
Uh, and it's really just sort of a, a very extreme close up of a record player needle uh, playing over the grooves of vinyl and jumping in and out. And this sort of uh, frantic kind of uh, explosive type of music that's playing over it. Uh, it's it's not an old song. It's a song that was written for the show by an act uh, from Kentucky that I that I really like uh, called Sturgill Simpson. He's uh, he's uh, kind of an outlaw country guy. He was not on a record label for a really long time. He doesn't he doesn't really fit with modern country music. He talks a lot about psychedelic type stuff. Uh, his second album is really a lot about that. So I think he's an interesting choice for this show because he doesn't really fit uh, in our current time period, and he is a throwback to the seventies in a lot of in a lot of ways, and he is the sort of drug kind of laden, uh, you know, uh, just in your face, intense outlaw kind of music. So uh, they specifically, like I said, they, they they got him to write the song for the show. Uh, it's an interesting fit. I don't know if he'll, uh, I don't know if he'll do anything else for the show or not, but I, I really like it. What do you guys think of the fact that vinyl has already been picked up for a second season? It was renewed. I don't remember if they renewed it right before the premiere or right after the premiere, but it's been renewed for a second season. The ratings are not spectacular on vinyl. I don't have those numbers in front of me, but it is not highly viewed right now. Um, do you think that that is premature? Do you understand why HBO would give vinyl another shot, you know, based on maybe whether it's, you know, the track record with what these guys bring to the table, what, what Terrence Winter did with Boardwalk Empire and everything like that? What's your take, Rob, on the fact that vinyl is already coming back for a second season? Well, I wonder really how much does HBO ultimately care about the ratings too much? I kind of feel like sometimes they just want to be in the business of like having a prestige show with a lot of people that they want to be in business with saying that they have a show from Scorsese and then having also Mick Jagger involved and then having something that they can sort of like have a show that looks beautiful. So I think that they don't have a ton of other stuff between the times that there's no Game of Thrones. And I feel like that. Why not at this point? Like, what else are they going to do? And yeah, they, your take? they need to build they need to build new brands. Uh, that's right. And it's interesting because the vinyl was actually lower rated than our our. You know, our baby that we've talked about here on Post Show Recaps a lot, um, The Leftovers, the less people watched vinyl than watched the, the end of the season of season two of The Leftovers. And The Leftovers sort of had to sing for its supper to get a third and final season. So I don't know if this was part of kind of a bigger deal with Terrence Winter. I know they probably want to be in the Terrence Winter business. Uh, they have been in the past. And I think that that's part of it. This was renewed right after the the premiere, actually before the second episode or or maybe right after the second episode, it was not renewed before anything aired. I had to get out there into the universe before they announced the renewal, but I have a feeling the deal was already in place. And this is something they want to make a couple seasons of at least. They're also, I'm sure, interested in building up their catalog and selling HBO Go and HBO Now and all those things. If they're going to sink all this money into kind of creating a show, they may as well let it run for a while. I don't think they want to make the mistakes they've made in the past. They want to give show uh, a time to kind of find its legs and see what it can do. So I think that's really what, it, what it's all about. And they're citing, oh, the ratings are low because it's up against The Walking Dead and other shows like that. And maybe that's true. And uh, maybe more people will watch this streaming later. But it doesn't strike me as a show that's going to be widely popular regardless. The Oscars aren't going to help this week either. Yeah, good yeah. point. Uh, so we'll see. I don't know. Uh, I feel like it feels to me, you know, not being a big boardwalk guy, but knowing what I do know about the show is that that was a show that really took its time to sort of find its feet or at least to really kind of stand out from the pack. And even by the time that they were starting to do some creatively, creatively risky things on the show, you know, it wasn't highly watched. It wasn't, you know, a show that tons of people were checking out anymore. Um, and so I, I wonder if, you know, is vinyl going to kind of unroll its story at a similar pace where it takes a real long time before it starts getting super exciting and super breakout worthy and all of that? And does it need a second season in order to find its footing on that level? Um, you know, whether or not it does, it's got it. I think the question will be if ratings are as low as they are, uh, at what point does HBO decide that the prestige is not enough? Um, so I guess I guess we'll have to we'll have to wait and see on all that. Anything else on on vinyl that either of you guys wanted to bring up? Well, I want to know: Are you going to keep watching it? I'll, I'll probably do the thing that we often say that we're going to do. Like the season will end, and I will I will hopefully go back and watch it. Those are my intentions at the moment. But you know, intentions can be uh, that they could be great, but they could be cruel as well. 
uh, as Bill Simmons knows all too well, and it is possible <laughs> it is possible that I just won't watch it again. I mean, I really did like the first two episodes, you know, which is essentially three hours of vinyl. I enjoyed what I watched, but I'm not itching to go and watch more of it, and it is entirely possible that I will forget to go back to it by the time every episode is released. Yeah, and I think that I'm 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 not going to forget. I probably will watch it. Uh, you know, in spaces, I, I'll let it, you know a couple pile up. I didn't watch the premiere as it aired. I waited till this week, and then I watched the first and second episode together. I like to have more than one episode. It turns out, except for shows that I'm going to definitely get spoiled on. Uh, I I don't I don't want to have I don't want to have FIDMO. I don't want to have fear <laughs> that I did miss out. I want to have FOMO, I have FOMO enough that. <laughs> I'm going to watch it uh, as it airs unless, you know, I'll, but I will probably let them pile up a couple here and there and then watch a couple in a row. What about you, Rob? Are you going to do any more 4 a.m., 5 a.m. vinyl watch sesh? I'll probably move on to the next thing. But that being said, I think what I'll probably do is I will wait and see what people are saying about vinyl. And if people say sort of that this was a great show, I'm missing out, I'll go back and continue watching. But I'll sort of let other people be the guinea pig on that. But for now, your Monday mornings are going to be reserved for new episodes of 112263, right? <laughs> you know, I haven't kept up with that, but that's the kind of thing that I would definitely uh, check out. Yeah. Uh, if you guys missed that, we talked about 112263 with Jessica Lease on Mo Show's recap last week. You can check that out. You can check out all of the things that we're doing on this podcast, postshowrecaps.com slash MSR iTunes. For everything we're doing on Post Show Recaps, postshowrecaps.com slash iTunes. That's where you can subscribe. Follow these guys on Twitter. Antonio is at AC Mazzaro, two Zs, one R. Rob is at Rob Sesternino. I'm at Round Howard. We'll be back with another Mo Shows Recap next week. Antonio, what are we going to be talking about next week? Is it Agent Carter next week, Josh? I think we're going to get into Agent Carter here on Carter. Carter. Sausage. Agent Carter. Yeah, we're going to be talking Agent Carter. Marvel's Agent Carter is wrapping up its second, maybe final season, not vinyl season. It's second, possibly final season next week. So Antonio and I will be together with Kevin Mahadeo, our resident comic book expert here on Post Show Recaps and Mo Shows Recapped. And Rob will be away doing other podcasty things. Rob, what do you have going on? Well, we got the return of House of Cards season four. And I'm very excited because I love House of Cards. But I just can't imagine that anything Frank Underwood is doing that is going to be more exciting or shocking than anything that's already happening in this year's presidential election. Right, because it's election season on House of Cards, I believe. Yeah, that's going to be the season that he's running for president of 2016. And then... Well, president of America in 2016, but I right. can't imagine how that's going to be more exciting than what's going on in real life. Yeah, so we'll have to wait and see. Rob's going to be podcasting about that with Zach Brooks. Really looking forward to listening to that. We've got all kinds of things going on here on Post Show Recaps, Walking Dead Recaps, Better Call Saul Recaps, Mo Shows Recaps every week. We will be back next week. Until then, take care. Bye.